My name's Tom and I'll be reading from Mark chapter 4 and the whole chapter. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60 and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people were like seed along the path, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown to them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the, the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making um, it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, you, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, 
which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows up and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. That day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, Quick quiz as we get started. What do Charles Dickens, Roald Dahl, Jane Austen, J.K. Rowling and Stan Lee all have in common? Authors? Fiction? Yeah. They're famous, they are. That's right. That's famous. No, you're thinking too hard, Natasha. They don't all, they, I don't think Stan Lee's from the UK. Um, they're all storytellers, aren't they? Very great storytellers. We read them, we watch them, we enter into the world they have created. You are a storyteller. When someone says to you, Oh, hello, Tom. What do you do? Who are you? You tell a story. A series of stories to share a narrative so we get to know you, what, who you are, what life is like for you, what makes you tick sharing the world you live in, just as we do with those famous authors. You know, the greatest storyteller of all time, though, is not Emily Bronte. It's actually God. And when we come to Mark 4, we meet, uh, have, sorry, the longest sustained teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and he tells stories to us which are called parables. And we heard some of them just before in the reading. But what are parables? That's a good thing to ask. Parables are stories that are symbolic in which Jesus invites us into to see what the kingdom of God is like. It's commentary on the kingdom he's bringing about, right? And they're taken from everyday life. Each parable taken from the common world that he was living in at the time. And the parables have one main point. Sometimes they have other points to them, but they're subordinate to that main idea. But they're also riddleish in the stories he tells. You need some insight to crack it open, otherwise it can be confusing. There are also exaggerations too of real life. Often you have a parable and things are bigger, smaller, larger, faster, more shocking. People do things they wouldn't normally do. In fact, one time Jesus tells a parable and the Pharisees interrupt him at the end and say, no! And you imagine Jesus smiling at that point going, I drew you into my story. The other day, Edward was reading on the bed and me and Natasha were there and he burst out laughing because he was drawn into the story so much it made him respond. 
and that's the parables. They're supposed to be provoking, shocking. Which is why Jesus says we have to listen in 4 verse 3. He says, listen. First word, listen. And then 13 more times in chapter 4, he says, listen, pay attention, hear what I'm saying, because Jesus wants us to hear. Someone once said it's easy to rake leaves. It's easy raking, because all you get is leaves, right? But digging's hard, but you might find diamonds. And Jesus says, come and listen, so that you can find the diamonds I'm teaching you of. And it all begins in 4 verse 1 as, as Jesus is teaching the crowds as they sit on the water's edge. Sit by the water's edge, it says. Interestingly though, water's edge, exactly the same word we're going to see for the rest of the chapter when we hear the word soil, land, ground, earth. Anytime that's repeated, water's edge, exactly the same word. People are sitting on the soil, Jesus telling them parables about his word going into the soil of their hearts and their minds so that they will understand what his kingdom is all about. Therefore, this whole chapter is about hearing God's word, letting it plant itself deep in us to produce a harvest of righteousness and faith as his people. So the question is, are we hearing Jesus' teaching in an ever-increasing measure? You and me hearing Jesus' teaching in an ever-increasing measure. And as we'll see at the very end in the storm, this has wonderfully big implications for Monday to Friday. Because the kingdom of God Jesus brings is not just for a a one-day-a-week thing. You can't contain Jesus just to that. So, let's look at what Jesus says and how he wants us to listen well and what it means. And the first parable is that of a seed and the soil. And this one is just like... A seed going onto various paths and soils, uh, and so there will be various responses to Jesus and his kingdom. It's the same seed, but a different surface. Because it's a symbolic word picture, it, Jesus is not talking about a farming technique here. That's not the point. It's, it's odd that you would put soil on the hard ground. You would put it in fertile ground. But it's a word picture. The point is the scope, not the technique. Because Jesus is travelling at this point around to towns and villages. He says earlier in Gospel of Mark, I've come here, I need to go out, not just stay in one place, to tell everyone to repent and believe. Moreover, we'll see in a moment, Jesus is not discriminating because someone's heart is too hard or they might reject him. So this first soil, you imagine it like the dirt path in Anstey's Hill, maybe down the park run on the weekend, and it's so packed down by dirt Any seeds landing there will get eaten by a bird straight away. It's not going to plant itself. It just can't. It's too compacted. And the second soil in 4 verse 5 is like the medium strip on the road. Not much soil, but stuff can grow, can't it? And you often see it. But really, in the hot Aussie sun, its roots aren't deep and it doesn't last long and it dries up. And the third soil in 4 verse 7, it's taken root now. Pretty good but it's growing in the middle of another plant and it's being choked out. And this plant is never, ever going to have a good life. It's going to live a pretty miserable, horrible life being choked out, competing for anything with the other plants there and soon it shrivels up and dies. Now that's three soils, pretty miserable lives for those particular seeds, but three responses to Jesus. Some here and it's snatched away, but pretty, uh, some here dancing with curiosity at the edges of Christianity for a long, long time. 
Others have a puff of growth and excitement. But pretty soon, trial, the pressure of life, it dulls the wonderful joy of knowing Jesus and they go away. Now, what's common about all three seeds here? What's the one common thread running through? They never get a crop, never produce a crop. Now, that's not surprising to Jesus, in fact. So he quotes Isaiah 6 when his disciples say, what's going on in this parable? And he explains why he talks in parables, and he explains the parable of these seeds. And he explains why he's going to keep talking to people, even if some won't believe. So in Isaiah 6, Isaiah's in the temple of God, and he saw God in his holiness, he had his sin atoned for, and then God says, who will go for me to these people? Who will I send to be my messenger for these people? And, and Isaiah says, and we love this, don't we? I will go, here I am, send me. Maybe you've heard that before. And you think it's a lovely, encouraging verse. And do you hear what God says in response? Great, Isaiah, you can go to a people that are hard-hearted and dull of hearing and who will never listen to you and won't respond no matter how much you talk. Go and speak to them over and over again, but know your ministry will be fruitless. Do you want to go now? Yes, he says. No one wants a job like that. No one wants to be repeating themselves over and over again day after day. And I'm sure you can relate in your workplaces. You feel like that to your boss sometimes, I'm sure. But is Jesus' ministry just repeating himself over and over again and no one gets it? Well, the answer is no. His teaching's concrete, even if it's clothed in mystery. Because there's this element of unbelief in the crowds the quote, quote emphasizes the misunderstanding we've seen of the very people God came to. They're failing to hear their Messiah's voice. The issue is of belief and unbelief. Because what God's up to isn't always clear to everyone, is it? Moreover, when Jesus quotes Isaiah, he locates unbelief in the very purpose of God as well as much as belief. Which means parables are an invitation to faith. But they have two effects. It's like the old saying, you know, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. That's the picture. And to reject Jesus is to not find the spiritual truth hidden in the bottom. But accepting Jesus, in 4 verse 11 it says that reveals the secrets of the kingdom. So that his word will go deep down in us in an ever-increasing measure in our lives. Of course, it's not to say you're, not, you're going to understand everything perfectly the instantly the first time you read it. In 4.33, Jesus says, I'm going to explain it to my disciples as much as they could handle so they could understand it more. So there's an ongoing learning there. But even if people don't believe, Jesus knows that his ministry won't be ineffective. And this is the fourth soil now. To those who hear and accept, there's growth and there's flourishing. 30, 60, 100 times. 100 heads of grain, so to speak. You know, 600 million people is a lot. People will hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And that can be each one of us here in this room. Because we don't have to be on the outside. Because Jesus has come, in the next parable, to be more like a table lamp than to play a cosmic game of hide and seek with God. So then he says another parable after this. I've come to reveal God the Father to you. That's the lamp. I'm shining out. God, God, God's glory is on display in me. The truth of the gospel is that repent and believe for all who hear and listen. That is going on offer to everyone. Come, think and explore. Use your mind, engage with Jesus. Christianity is very happy to be pushed and prodded and poked. 
Because the more you hear and think and process, the more you understand. That's what he says with the measure part. The more you think and listen, the more you'll know. C.S. Lewis um, read this and, and wrote a series of books called Mere Christianity, which are radio talks, actually. Got turned into a book. And on this thought about thinking about Jesus and him being a great teacher and revealing God, he says this, and I quote her, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis says, you can't do that. Why? A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. Therefore, he says, it seems to me that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely, it may seem I have to accept the view that he was and is God. This is Jesus, revealing God, bringing about his kingdom, his spiritual rule over our lives, even if it seems so tiny and small like the apple seed from Meredith's kids' talk. Even though it all seems so small, God's kingdom will grow into something very, very big. We have this growing seed picture now. And Jesus introduces us to a man scattering seed. This man is not God. Uh, That would imply God's ignorant of his kingdom growing. Rather, it's this detailed description of the seed going out, the man goes to sleep, and then it says it starts small and it buds and it blossoms and it grows all by itself over time. That's the kingdom of God. What it looks like now in Jesus' moment of life even to some extent today, is not the fullest expression of what it can be. And indeed, the ministry, the message, the death, the resurrection of Jesus looks like a very odd way to grow a kingdom. He's not after land. He's after the reign of indiv- over individuals' lives too. But the slow planned process of that seed with the stalk, the head, the kernel grows, so too the kingdom of God is growing, even when it doesn't look like it. That's to say... God's kingdom does not look impressive from a worldly point of view. Christians are not the most spectacular people. Jesus and his people don't look that amazing. And it looks like it takes an absurd amount of time for God to do anything either. Maybe you've wondered that. But it's a tension we feel, isn't it? God says, I'm going to do this and I am doing it, yet in our instant switch-off in three-second culture, it's really hard sometimes. But God is quite pleased to run the world on his schedule, not ours. So just relax. God's growing it. He's got it. God will have a great harvest, which is where the mustard seed comes in. Now notice how Jesus is getting at one point in each parable. He's not pressing it too hard, but he just changes the image just to, to make another point. Okay, He's just, I've done what I wanted to do, I'll move on to something else. So we have this mustard tree. Now this, this seed at the start has caused issues for some people. Um, But it's a parable. And remember too, Jesus is not emphasizing the smallness of his kingdom, but that's a growing one from a small beginning. So much so that at the end of the parable, birds come and rest in the shade of the branches. It starts like this, yet birds find a home. His point is that from east to west, north to south, the kingdom of God is expanding and all will come like the birds do to find shade and shelter and rest. And yes, Jesus' life was confined to a small patch of Israel in a small period of time, but don't imagine that's the extent of his kingdom. His word will be ever-increasing, not just deep down in his followers, but outwards to the nations. And then the day ends. 
Jesus is tired, the disciples have had enough, they can't comprehend anymore, he explains it to them and it's their brains are full and so Jesus says to them, let's go to the other side of the lake, team. We've got to leave now. Many of you have a job in which you do your job when you go home and you kind of switch up on the bus ride or the car ride home and that's it, or you try to. And you, you kind of finish work and you enter home self, right? Um, maybe not as good as you'd like, but that's generally how it works. You might think about and learn and apply great interesting things through your study and your field, um, but really it's not that useful at home, is it? Sometimes it is when you're doing a project, but most of what you do is confined to work and not too transferable. But what's about to happen for the disciples isn't like you're going from work you to home you. It's not like leaving work. Jesus invites us to listen to him because what he says isn't good for just one day or eight hours of your day but for the entire week, for every day. So the disciples get on the boat and Jesus says, let's go across to the other side. Perhaps they're chatting about the very parables Jesus has been telling them. And Jesus, so exhausted from a day of teaching, he just falls asleep on a cushion. And that, of course, shows his humanity right there. Jesus gets tired like you do. When you're tired at the end of the day, you think Jesus knows that too. He's been there. But then out of nowhere, a storm of ferocity comes upon the boat. The boat's nearly swamped in 4 verse 37. Jesus is still asleep and they wake him. Don't you care? We're going to die. They're at their wit's end. And then Jesus gets up and in an ironic turn of events, it seems the storm has been paying more attention to Jesus than the disciples because Jesus says with just a word, hush, be still. With only his voice, it's calm. And then another storm begins inside the disciples because they're terrified at what Jesus just did. And all they can say with terror is, who is this? Fear has replaced their faith. The storm stretched their ability to see Jesus clearly. And that's what a crisis does, doesn't it? It stretches us, it pulls us. But it's actually really good news that Jesus sleeps. And of course you'll say, no, no, Luke, God doesn't sleep and slumber. I know that. But the reason Jesus sleeps in the storm is because of his faith in God. The Lord God sustains him and comforts him in those moments. See, Jesus is, in the first 34 verses we've seen, our teacher, our guide, the parables, yes, but he's a rock and a shield as well. Here's the thing, Christianity is both wonderfully thought-provoking, with Jesus inviting us to think and listen, but immensely down to earth, in all the practical stuff and all the crisis moments of your life, because the same Jesus that teaches is the same Jesus full of authority for every day of the week. He isn't just a model, but he's the object of our faith as well. One person I read this week said, he can be the model of faith because he's fully human. He can be the object of faith because he's fully divine. And that's who we see in this passage. Which means, the lesson isn't Jesus calms your storms. That misses the reaction of the disciples, the parables that went before, the invitation that Jesus says, let me come on the boat, and then the lack of faith. What it does show us is that Jesus' kingdom will expand even if you can't see how in the moment or it looks small or the chaos is too big and overwhelming. It reminds us Jesus' teaching isn't just good for sitting by the water's edge but when you hop off the bus Monday morning into the chaos of your work week. 
To say it crassly, if Mark 1 to 34 is like Sunday, well, Mark 35 to 41 is the rest of your week. It's Wednesday when you navigate family dynamics and conversations that are draining. It's Thursday at the hospital bed of someone you love. The storm confronts us with Jesus as the Son of God, whom the wind and the waves obey, who can sleep because of his faith, but who has the authority and is the object of our faith at the same time. And that's terrifying. You need to be confronted with the identity of Jesus and the power of God is big. But don't forget Jesus invites himself into those moments of your life. Let's cross the lake together. Let's do Monday morning together, team. Let's do it together. Let my word go deeper and deeper in an ever-increasing amount of listening so that in your week, in all the chaos and confusion, you would know my authority and the identity of Jesus once more. And that's what Mark's getting about. Over and over again, Jesus says, listen, over and over again in Mark, people fail to see who Jesus is. And Jesus wants us to hear so that we would take his word deep in our heart, we will produce a harvest of righteousness, of right living before God, 30, 60, 100, for his glory, a life transformed by his grace and teaching through our communion with God, delighting ourselves in the reality of the kingdom of God that we belong to. Listen, that's the kingdom you belong to. Because all that listening is for living. An ever-increasing amount of listening for living a fruitful life under God in the chaos with Jesus. Know the person in the kingdom you belong to. That Jesus is the example and the object of your faith. And that's what you need as you struggle And as that little boat was tossed in the wind and how that could very easily be you, may you comprehend that Jesus does reign in those moments. The storm shows us who he is, his authority, and Mark doesn't want us to miss that. That's why Jesus says, where's your faith? They've heard it. They totally forgot in the moment. There's an interesting psalm, uh, Psalm 107, that talks about a very similar moment. And towards the end, it says they were glad when it grew calm. And it talks about Jesus or God calming a storm in this psalm. And then it says he guided them to their desired haven. But the difference with Psalm 107 and the disciples, the disciples were full of fear when they saw God do this. But look at the end of Psalm 107. After the storm grew calm, it says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. We have a saviour who doesn't deliver us from storms, but through them. Life isn't easy. Christianity isn't an escape from chaos, but you face it by belonging to the kingdom of God and realizing the only safe place is with Jesus and that cushion of faith he gives. May you know that Jesus. May you grasp who that Jesus is and that kingdom you belong to because he is for every day. And may his word go down in an ever-increasing measure in our lives. And let's praise him for that. Let's give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, because he's our Messiah. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have our band come up and lead us through Jesus Messiah to reflect on God and his word today. Our great God, you uh, teach us what is good and true. Help us to follow and obey you. 
but your authority extends not just to our minds and hearts, but to every moment of our lives that we face. So be the Son of God over our weeks. You invite yourself to, into our lives Monday to Friday. We want to follow you and obey you. And in the chaos, help us trust you because you're reigning. Be the object of our faith and be the example of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.